Brian McClanahan Show, episode 435. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to McClanahan Academy. It's the best way to do it. You get a free class when you enroll. And then you get great deals on courses. You can also purchase one of my courses there. My latest series is the Originalist Papers. Great series of courses. There's going to be four parts to it. I've got parts one and two out already. Parts three and four come out this summer. You're going to want to get that. Plus, when you're on the email list, which is what happens when you enroll, you get great deals. You get great coupons. So head on over to McClanahan Academy. Get those deals right now. It's a fantastic win-win. You can purchase a class, help support the show, and you get great content. You can also click on that support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can throw a few pennies my way. You get a book plate if you want, my autograph on one of my books. I've got a lot of books out. Southern Scribblings is my latest, though I'm going to have at least one, if not two more, books out this year. So you're going to want to look for those as well. And I think you're going to love those books too. And of course, you get them autographed if you get that book plate. You can also buy your Brian McClanahan Show merchandise. Just click on that shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. It's a great way to do it. And, of course, share this podcast wherever you get podcasts. Rate it wherever you get podcasts. Share the material around on social media. Let people know you're thinking locally, acting locally, because that is the important thing about all of this. And I've got a lot of good stuff this week, and uh, we're going to talk about the Constitution this week. We're going to talk about local involvement in things, and... One of the essays we're going to get to this week is, um, well, it's dense, and it, of course, gets into some other controversies I've been embroiled in the last week or so. If you haven't been following what I've been doing, of course, I was attacked not only by the neocons, but also by the left, or you should say I was attacked by the left, but also the neocons, which, of course, I'm making great enemies there. The neocons and the left are essentially the same people. They have the same view of America. It's just they think... One needs to go a little further than the other. That's the problem, right? That's the problem. So we're going to start, though, with the big political topic last week. And, of course, that would be Joe Biden's address to Congress, the joint session of Congress. This happened after I had already wrapped up all the podcasting for the week last week. So I had to hold it over till today. So hopefully you haven't forgotten about this. But I, I want to cover this speech. Of course, I love doing presidential history as well. If you haven't gotten my nine presidents, you screwed up America. It's a great book. I've got my president's class at McClanahan Academy. I go through all the presidents. Haven't gotten Joe Biden yet because, of course, Joe Biden's only been there for about 100 days. But I wanted to cover this particular speech because it shows you how stupid American politics have, have gotten in the last, I don't know, century. Really since Franklin Roosevelt's second Bill of Rights and... More importantly, since presidents stopped writing their own speeches, Warren Harding was the last man to do that, <clears throat> last man to write his own speeches, Calvin Coolidge hired a speechwriter, and you can see a precipitous decline 
in the intellectual content of every speech from that point forward. Now, Coolidge was a man of few words, which is probably why he hired a speechwriter. He didn't like to do these kind of things. When he wrote his own stuff, which he did every now and then, it's very uh, you know, basic. Uh, it, it doesn't, there's not a whole lot to it. It's forceful. I mean, the, the language he would use is plain spoken, you might say. But then from that point forward, we start seeing speechwriters, and speechwriters understand that they need to write to a low level. They want to write to about an eighth grade reading level or lower. In fact, I did a, a uh, article on this years ago uh, about the level of speeching, uh, speech, speech writers, the, the, the educational level that it required to read these speeches. And if you go back and you look at you know, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, James Madison. Just go back to the first part of, of American history, the founders, even up through the 19th century. If you put that into these programs that show you, well, this is the reading level required, all of those speeches are written at a college-level reading level that we consider college-level today. Modern speeches are at 8th grade level at best or more around a 4th or 5th grade level. So we've dumbed down the entire election process. The other thing they do, of course, is use platitudes and slogans. They get into campaign chanting in these speeches. It's just so stupid. And we're going to go through, I'm going to point this stuff out. I mean, anybody that listens to these things, I would never listen to this live. It would be a complete waste of my time. It would be brain rot. And I hate even having to go through it. But since you, my loyal listeners, want my opinion on these things, I will go through it and talk about this substantial brain rot that we call American politics. It's all stupid. And of course, there's no justification for any of this except platitudes and slogans as we go through it. So let's start Biden's first 100 days. First of all, this is from USA Today. This was Wednesday night. Now, I did podcast on Thursday last week, but I already recorded it, so I, uh, I didn't have time to react. So anyways, Wednesday night, approaching his 100th day in office, President Joe Biden addresses the joint session of Congress for the first time. Approaching Now, why do we talk about the first 100 days? I've mentioned this before on this podcast. I talk about it in my American President's course. Why? Why do we talk about the first 100 Well, because of Franklin Roosevelt. That's the only reason. Nobody would pay attention. Nobody, nobody, George Washington talked about, well, I've been in office 100 days. What have I done? Or Thomas Jefferson, John Adams. We even go forward to Lincoln, who I don't really care for. But Lincoln never talked about first 100 days. These are the things I've accomplished. In the 19th century, you know, Grover Cleveland, first 100 days I did this. Or Benjamin Harrison, first 100 days. It wasn't until Franklin Roosevelt that we started this nonsense because he promised all these sweeping changes in 100 days. So now when every president enters office, what are you going to do in the first 100 days? I would love for a president to say, absolutely, I'm going to play golf in the first 100 days. I'm going to do absolutely nothing in the first 100 days. I'm going to sit around. I'm going to do what I have to. Congress sends me some bills. I'm going to look at it. I'm going to meet with some foreign leaders. But other than that, I'm going to play some golf. I'm not going to do a whole lot of anything because you know what? I don't have any constitutional authority to do a whole lot of anything but those things. That would be refreshing. No, no, no. That's not what we do. We have a president stand up there and talk about all the wonderful programs and executive orders and all the decrees, all the bulls that I'm going to issue in these first hundred days, and therefore you're going to love me. Madam Speaker, Madam Vice President, no president has ever said those words from this podium, and it's about time! Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah! I mean, again, come on. How stupid. 
The First Lady, the Second Gentleman, Mr. Chief Justice, members of the United States Congress and the Cabinet, and distinguished guests, my fellow Americans. See, first of all, to actually have the President go into the Congress, this smacks of monarchy. It is the highest level of monarchy, because you see, this is what the Queen requires of her subjects when she issues her address in person. She sends over the demand for the House of Commons to come meet in the House of Lords, and they all get together and they talk, and she issues her decrees and what her message and everything else. Now, of course, it carries no weight. It's all ceremonial now, but this is not. This is actually worse, because this is not ceremonial. The American president has power. The queen, while she theoretically has power, has no power. No legislative power. She can make statements. The parliament doesn't have to pay attention to anything she says. Well, the Congress does. This is worse. This is worse than that. And the founding generation, particularly when we got to Jefferson, wanted to ensure that none of this happened. We didn't have any smacking of monarchy anywhere going on. While the setting tonight is familiar, this gathering is very different. A reminder of the extraordinary times we are in. Throughout our history, presidents have come to this chamber to speak to the Congress, to the nation, and to the world. To declare war, to celebrate peace, to announce new plans and possibilities, to act like a king. No, he didn't say that, but that's what he should say. Tonight I come to talk about crisis and opportunity, about rebuilding our nation, and revitalizing our democracy, and winning the future for America. Think think about the platitudes, all the stupidity that just was issued in those few lines. Oh, yeah, 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 Democrats, oh, yeah. And, of course, this is Trump saying this, Republicans, oh, yeah, yeah, Republicans, go. As I stand here tonight, just one day shy of the 100th day of my administration, 100 days since I took the oath of office, lifted my hand off our family Bible, inherited a nation in crisis. He didn't do any of these. He didn't inherit a nation. It's not his nation. There's no nation whatsoever anyways, but it's not his. He's not a monarch. Think of the language that's being used here. He didn't inherit anything. He assumed an office, a public trust, to uphold the Constitution. In fact, in his own oath, to defend the Constitution, which he is not doing clearly in this entire address. So he didn't do any of these things. He's not King Biden. And, of course, the the terms Madam, Madam Vice President, the First Lady, the Second Gentleman, what are, I mean, are we really a monarchy? This is the question I think we all have to ask, and this is why this stuff is so stupid. The worst pandemic in a century. The worst economic crisis. In, why, why do we have an economic crisis right now? Well, because, of course, the government shut everybody down. There's, we know economic crisis wasn't for that. This is all fabricated. It's because, we can even put, go back to the Great Depression, which he brings up. Well, why do we have the Great Depression? Well, because of the Fed. The worst attack on our democracy since the Civil War. Now, I mean, think about that phrase. The worst attack on our democracy. I mean, these are slogans. These are leftist talking points that are being used that are completely stupid. Now, just after, after just 100 days, I can report to the nation, America's on the move again, turning peril into possibility, crisis into opportunity, setback into strength. Did an 8th grader write this? A 7th grader? Maybe a 6th grader? This is what we have. Oh, no, 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 no. Life can knock us down. But in America, we never stay down. In America, we always get up. And today, that's what we're doing. America is rising anew. Choosing hope over fear, truth over lies, light over darkness. 
there's no substance to this whatsoever. If you if you compared this speech with uh, a State of the Union address from the 19th century, th- none of this stuff is in there. None of it. They talk about you know a few. They'll say a few kind things about America and Americans and possibilities. They don't do stupid stuff like this. After 100 days of rescue and renewal, America is ready for takeoff. We are working again, dreaming again, discovering again, leading the world again. We have shown each other and the world there is no quitting America. I mean, think about the next the three paragraphs in a row of stupid platitudes. I, I wonder if they took like the little inspirational posters off the wall and said, hey, let's put this in a speech for Joe Biden, because that sounds good. And all the, oh, yeah, we're doing all these things again. 100 days ago, America's house is on fire. We had to act. And thanks to your extraordinary leadership with Speaker Pelosi and Majority Leader Schumer, and with the overwhelming support of the American people, Democrats, Independents, Republicans, we act, we did act. Wait, you've gotten legislation through with 51 votes. That's it. And it's been a lot of your stuff has been blocked. Why? Because Americans don't want it. And states have responded to your actions with their own legislation and direct refutation of what you're doing. So I don't think there's really much unity going on here. Of course, it can't be because we've got a slim majority, 51 to actually 50-50 in the Senate, and only because the situation in Georgia, the Georgia Republicans elected, uh, nominated stupid people, and because people were ticked in Georgia over what happened there, and they refused to show up. Otherwise, it would still be the other way. And, I mean, so we've got a very slim majority. Majority leader, sure, no, no, no. Talk about a coalition majority leader. I mean, that's, there's no majority there. It's... It's 50-liter Schumer, right? Half-majority Schumer. Together we passed the American Rescue Plan, one of the most... Together, you mean with 50 Democrat votes and Vice President Harris. That's not together. That's one faction controlling the legislative process. We're already seeing the results. After I promised 100 million COVID vaccine shots in 100 days, which, of course, the Trump administration said was possible, and Biden said it's no way it's going to happen. But of course, now we have Biden taking the credit for it. I mean, and look, I'm not I'm not praising Trump here. What I'm saying is that this is where all this stuff is just so stupid. We have provided over 220 million COVID shots in 100 days. We're marshaling every federal resource. We've got, given the vaccine to nearly 40,000 pharmacies and over 700 community health centers. The Trump administration was setting all this. The Biden administration is running with, with the infrastructure the Trump administration created. Today, 90% of Americans now live within five miles of vaccination site. Everyone over the age of 16, everyone is now eligible and can get vaccinated right away. So get vaccinated now and then wear your double mask in public like I do. I mean, this is how stupid this stuff is. He talks about how you've got, um, you know, now 1% of seniors were vaccinated when he became president. Now and now 70% of seniors. Well, again, the vaccine wasn't, it was still being rolled out when Biden became president, but all that stuff was there. The, the infrastructure was there. People were doing it. It just was being rolled out. So why does he get credit for this? There's no credit to be given for Joe Biden. This is the question that everyone, any logical person would say, wait a second here. Of course, Washington Post has retired their fact checker because they don't need it anymore. Joe Biden doesn't need a fact checker. Everything he says is true. Trump needed a fact checker, but Joe Biden doesn't need a fact checker. At a mass vaccination center in Glendale, Arizona, I asked the nurse what it's like. She looked and said every shot feels like a dose of hope. A dose of hope for the educator in Florida as a child who suffers from an autoimmune disease. Notice how he picks out Florida. 
Because, of course, you got to mention Florida because Ron DeSantis is going so hard against Biden and being very successful in doing it. Well, I'm, I care about Florida. I care about Florida. Look, because you're getting vaccines, DeSantis hasn't said vaccines aren't necessary or aren't good. I mean, he's tried to do everything he can in Florida to make sure these things happen. He just said, we're not wearing your stupid masks. We're not mandating that. Why? Because it doesn't work. It doesn't do anything to stop the spread of COVID. This is what he said. And he has health professionals that have come out and said it. And in fact, in the early days of the, of the virus, Anthony Fauci said exactly the same thing. Exactly the same thing. The masks have become a political rather than a health symbol. Parents are seeing smiles on their kids' faces as they go back to school because teachers and school bus drivers, cafeteria workers have been vaccinated. Well, I mean, look, even before that, kids were back to school in many of the red states across the United States. We're only talking, look, America is being governed by blue states right now. We're only, this is, if we were governed by red states, I mean, kids have already been in school. What are you talking about? They've been in school the whole time, practically. It's been a very short period of time where they weren't. There's still a lot more to work to do to beat this virus. We can't let our guard down now, but tonight I can say because of you, the American people, our progress in these past hundred days against one of the worst pandemics in history is one of the greatest logistical achievements the country has ever seen. What else have we done in these first hundred days? Well, we spent a lot of fake money. We've passed a lot of unconstitutional legislation. That's what we've done. We kept our commitment and we're sending $1,400 rescue checks to 85% of all house American households. We already sent more than 160 million checks out the door. It's making a difference for many people. It's making all the difference in the world. A single mom in Texas wrote to me. She said when she couldn't work, this relief check put food on the table and saved her and her son from eviction. My grandmother in Virginia told me she immediately took her granddaughter to the eye doctor, something she put off for months because she didn't have the money. Notice he says Texas and Virginia. He's picking southern states. Now, Virginia is a blue state now. But Texas, you got to point out Texas, because Texas is, again, is going hard against Biden. So see, I'm really here to help you, Texas. I'm really here to help you, Virginia. I'm sure that these people really did that, and they didn't just make this up. Probably did, but who knows. One of the defining images of this crisis has been cars lined up for miles waiting for a box of food to be put in the trunk. Did you ever think you'd see that in America? Well, I know. I mean, who, who would? It's only that way because the government said everybody can't go to work. And now, as I drive down the road past restaurants, all of them, all of them have help wanted signs up. Why? Well, some of them because, of course, they probably reduced staff during the early phase of the pandemic, but other of, of COVID. But the other reason, people are getting checks and they don't go to work. So now you've got soft, guaranteed basic income. Why would they go work for a couple of bucks an hour plus tips where they might make 10 bucks an hour when they've got federal money pouring into their pockets? And look, this has been promised to go on for some time. They don't have to go to work now. They don't need it because we've got soft, basic, guaranteed income. So all these jobs that these people would have had are now going unfilled, and businesses are struggling to just get enough people to work. This is the, this is the policies of the Biden administration. This is what we're seeing. They're giving rental assistance. They're giving uh, 800,000 Americans in the Affordable Care Act because I established a special sign-up period to do that. I mean, all this stuff. Affordable Care Act, of course, is unconstitutional. All this spending is unconstitutional. It's all unconstitutional. But, of course, we're doing it anyways. In the process, the economy created more than 1.3 million new jobs in 100 days. More new jobs in the first 100 days than any president on record. 
Well, why? It wouldn't have happened that way. Look, if the economy had not shut down in the last few months of the Trump administration, Donald Trump would still be president of the United States. There's no question about it. If the COVID thing had not happened, and Trump had just gone the way DeSantis is going, I think you would have seen Trump still in office. You would have seen Trump still in office. The International Monetary Fund is now estimating our economy will grow at a rate of more than 6% this year. It'll be the fastest pace of economic growth in the century. Well, I mean, why? America is moving. Moving forward. We, we can't stop now. I mean, we can't. I, this is, again, got to throw in the little slogan there. America is moving. What kind of moving? We're in competition with China and other countries to win the 21st century. We have more to do than just build back. We have to build back better. <laughs> okay, so they, he throw it. we got to build back. What the heck does that even mean? I asked this before. That's such a stupid slogan. What does it even mean? It's so ridiculous. Throughout our history, public investments and in infrastructure have transformed America. The Transcontinental, Ra- Transcontinental Railroad and interstate highways united two oceans and brought us into a totally new age of progress. Universal Public School and College Aid opened wide the doors of opportunity. Scientific breakthroughs took us to the moon and to Mars. Discovered vaccines and gave us the internet and so much more. These are the investments we make together as one country and that only government can make. Only government can do these things? Only government can launch rockets? I mean, we're seeing that's not the case. Only government can discover vaccines? Um, That was done by private companies... Uh, only government can have schools. We've got a lot of private schools. Uh, the Transcontinental Railroad was a mess of corruption. You're going to praise that. The highway system, completely completely unconstitutional. All this is unconstitutional. But she's promoting unconstitutional stuff. And then saying government did all these things. Time and time again, they propel us into the future. That's why I propose the American Jobs Plan. A once-in-a-generation investment in America itself, the largest jobs plan since World War II. Increase jobs, helps greater infrastructure. Jobs, modernizing roads, bridges, and highways. Jobs, building ports and airports, rail corridors, and transit lines. It's clean water. <laughs> it's the Green New Deal, is what he's trying to... He doesn't want to say that, because that's politically unpopular. It's not popular at all, really, among Americans, when you get to the heart of it. Today, up to 10 million homes and more than 400,000 schools and child care centers have pipes with lead in them, including for drinking water, a clear and present danger to our children's health. The American Jobs Plan creates jobs replacing 100% of the nation's lead pipes and service lines so every American, so every child, can turn on the faucet and be certain to drink clean water. It creates jobs connecting every American with high-speed Internet, including 35% of rural Americans who still don't have it. Well, I mean, look, I wouldn't be able to do what I do without the Internet, but... There's a lot of bad stuff on the internet. Is that a good thing? This will help our kids and businesses succeed in a 21st century economy. And I'm asking the vice president to help lead this effort. It creates jobs by building a modern power grid. Our grids are vulnerable to storms, hacks, and catastrophic failures with tragic results, as you saw in Texas and elsewhere during winter storms. The American Jobs Plan will create jobs to lay thousands of miles of transmission lines needed to build a resilient and fully clean grid. So he's talking about all... Look... The question is, again, is any of this constitutional? Well, no. I mean, the there's nothing in the Constitution that grants the U.S. government power to do any of these things. But, of course, they do it anyways because there's no challenge anymore. For too long, we have failed to use the most important word when it comes to meeting the climate crisis. Jobs! 
jobs. For me, when I think about climate change, I think jobs. I do too. I think about all the lost jobs. I think about Pete Buttigieg sitting up there and saying, well, you know, people are going to lose their jobs. And I guess we just got to be fine with that, essentially. I mean, then we got to find them somewhere. So somebody that's working a job, I mean, people go to a job and they get, they, they buy a house and they do things and they base it on the income that they're going to get and what they think they're going to have and the, re, the, the residual effect of that. And then that job is gone. Well, you just got to go back to school and get a different job. Well, maybe that job isn't here. Then I got to try to move and do all these things. And so you create, you're creating an environment where these people are going to lose jobs all because you say that job is not good and this job is better. Because the government says that. And think about this again. This is the government saying these things, not the private sector, not individuals saying, you know, it'd be great to have these kind of things. So let's build this stuff. And if it works better, then people will buy onto it. People will get it. I mean, if you like electric cars, well, then you should buy one. But the government is forcing people into electric cars. The American Jobs Plan will put engineers and construction workers to work building more energy-efficient buildings and homes. We saw in the, during the Great Depression when they did this and they put people to work building schools and post offices. Once, it was dry, once those things were built, all that dried up. And Roosevelt recognized it. The Public Works Administration was an abject failure because even though it put people to work for a little time building these things. When it was done, it was done. There was no jobs anymore. So you created jobs, and then those things are done. So the, it's better to have the private sector do these things. Grow the private sector so this stuff continues to grow instead of one-off, and then you're unemployed again. There's no reason the blades for wind turbines can't be built in Pittsburgh instead of Beijing. No reason why American workers can't lead the world in production of electric vehicles and batteries. Well, there is a reason, because we don't have the cobalt. The Chinese are buying all that up. So, there you go. The American Jobs Plan will create millions of good-paying jobs. Job Americans can raise their families on. And all the investments in the American Jobs Plan will be guided by one principle. Buy American. See, Trump said all this stuff, too. And yet, he was destroyed for it. What do you mean, buy American? You can't do You can't say that. What about China? What about this world economy? What about all these things? So, see, what Biden has done is taking credit for things. Again, the Trump administration. I've said this. Trump was just an old New Deal Democrat. That's all he is. That's all Trump's America First plan really is, with some modifications. But essentially, he's an old New Deal Democrat with a bit of 1950s Taft Republicanism in him when it comes to foreign policy. That was, that was Trump. That's all Trump was. I, I could never understand why old Democrats wouldn't have gotten on board with Trump. Now, I can see with Biden's rhetoric, while these people would, would say, you know, Biden is my guy, but Biden, of course, is pandering to the hard left, and this is the greatest danger with Biden. Now, I know some of you wondering at home are wondering if these jobs are for you. You feel left behind and forgotten in an economy that's rapidly changing. Let me speak directly to you. Independent experts estimate that American Jobs Fund will add millions of jobs and trillions of dollars in economic growth for years to come. These are good-paying jobs that can't be outsourced. Nearly 90% of the infrastructure jobs created in American Jobs Plan do not require a college degree. 75% do not require an associate's degree. So, you're just going to go work for these things while you're built, put some lines out, and then you have no job again. Again, this is how stupid this stuff really is. By the way, let's also pass a $15 minimum wage because, you know, we can uh, afford more inflation and losing more jobs. 
Finally, the American Jobs Plan will be the biggest increase in non-defense research and development on record. We will see more than technological advance change in the next 10 years than we saw in the last 50. We're falling behind in that competition. I don't know. I mean, is any other country launching rockets in the air that can land themselves? I haven't seen that yet. I haven't seen any any other country do that yet. But we're doing that here in the United States. But, of course, we're falling behind. Falling behind. The Defense Department has an agency called DARPA. Reminds me of uh, Lost and uh, you know, their, their ridiculous stuff. The Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. That's to, there's, there's that to develop breakthroughs to enhance our national security, which led to the Internet and GPS and so much more. The National Institutes of Health, the NIH, could create a similar advanced research project agency for health. I mean, so he's saying all these government things we have to do because all this stuff creates more things. So then he gets into all his proposals, all the money he's going to spend. I mean, this is one of the longest, I'll, I'll say this, this is one of the longest State of the Union addresses in a, in a while. I mean, this was a long speech. And I don't want to go through every single thing because of time. Because most of it's just kind of stupid anyways. And I point out some of the other slogans. We welcome ideas, but the rest of the world isn't waiting for us. Doing nothing is not an option. We can't be so busy competing with each other that we forget that competition is with the rest of the world to win the 21st century. I mean, it's a slogan. We can't forget these things. We're in competition with the rest of the world. To win that competition for the future, we also need to make a -a once-in-a-generation investment in our families and our children. That's why I'm introducing the American Families Plan tonight, which addresses four of the biggest challenges facing American families today. And of course, Jill is a community college professor, so we got to put more people in community college. We got to do more things. Provide twelve weeks of paid family leave. Uh, we got to put money in the pocket of families. We're going to provide a tax credit. Uh, you know, three thousand dollars for a child t- child tax credit for children over six, and thirty six hundred for every child under six. So we're going to put more credits out there. Why don't you just cut taxes? That'd be a good idea. The American Rescue Plan lowered health care premiums for 9 million Americans who buy their coverage under the Affordable Care Act. In addition to my family's plan, I work with Congress to address this year other critical priorities for American families. We've got to get the Affordable Care Act more stuff. We've got to spend more money. Basically, what this is is a long list of trillions of dollars. In fact, it's estimated $4 trillion of spending that the United States government doesn't have. So nobody asks this question. Okay, look, Joe Biden. If you want $4 trillion of spending, and we only have, I, I mean, the Fed has stopped, has stopped telling people how much money is in circulation. But if we only had $11 trillion in circulation, which that's what it was a few, uh, several years ago. We only have $11 trillion in circulation. And every year, the government adds a $1 trillion in debt. So now we're, I think, just in not unfunded liabilities, but our funded liabilities, over $30 trillion in debt, and there's only $11 trillion. Well, how do you make up that difference? You can't. you got to print more money. This is where inflation comes in, and we're seeing it across the board. Inflation is a real danger to America. We're seeing it. That's why the stock market keeps going up. And as the economy revs up and people start spending more money, you're going to see more inflation. He has other slogans. Healthcare should be a right, not just a privilege in America. I've made clear we can spend all this money without increasing deficits. Let's start with what I will not do. I will not impose a tax increase on people making less than 400000 a year. 
So that 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 image would say that is, of course, an individual making four hundred thousand dollars. That's not what he said. That's not what he means. There's a lot of pushback on this. That's a that's a couple making four hundred thousand dollars. You make if if a couple goes over that, any I mean, then you're going to see tax increases. Just pay their fair share. Just pay your fair share. Pay your fair share. Uh, well, I think people are already doing that. This recent study shows that 55% of the nation's biggest corporations paid zero in federal income tax last year. No federal income taxes on more than $40 billion in profits. So we're going to make sure that all these people pay their fair share. All these corporations. I mean, look, I'm fine with corporate Corporations are a problem in America. But corporations do hire a lot of people, so there's that as well. We're gonna we take the top tax bracket, the wealthiest one percent of Americans, those making four hundred thousand dollars more, and back up to thirty nine point six percent. We take the top tax bracket tax bracket for the wealthiest one percent of Americans, those making four hundred thousand dollars more, back up to thirty nine point six percent. We said it twice. That's where it was when George W. Bush became president. We want to get rid of the loopholes that allow Americans who make more than one million a year to pay a lower rate on their capital gains than working Americans pay on their work. This will only affect three tenths of one percent of all Americans. The IRS will crack down on millionaires and billionaires who cheat on their taxes. That's estimated to be billions of dollars. So, I mean, again, what's a millionaire or billionaire? I, you know, how much, I, uh, uh, where do they stop with this? Is it just going to be millionaires or billionaires? Is it going to be other people making money? I mean, $400,000. Once you get 400000 then you're a rich person, so then you're going to crack down on that. I mean, where does all this stop? Where do you use the, the IRS now becomes a political weapon? I mean, this is dangerous stuff. So, I mean, I'm not going to go through much more of this because of time. I mean, there's pages and pages and pages of these. This is the this is one of the longest speeches I've ever seen for a State of the Union address in the modern age. Now, used to be State of the Union addresses that were written could be this long, but not in the modern age where they actually stand up and make a speech. All right, so Biden's laundry list of trillions of dollars in spending, woke social justice plans, which, of course, he gets into later in the speech, which I don't really want to focus on, Um, gun confiscation. I mean, these are the things he's pushing in the speech. But he he, he ends, he ends, now if Congress won't pass my plan, in which he went through for like 20 pages, Let's at least pass what we agree on. Congress needs to pass legislation this year to finally secure protection for the dreamers, the young people who have only known America as their home. Congress should pass H.R. 1 and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act and send them to my desk right away. The country supports it. Congress should act. No, the country doesn't support it. The country doesn't really support that at all. In fact, the the overwhelming majority of Americans don't support H.R. 1, which is why it's not going anywhere. And as we gather here tonight, the images of a violent mob assaulting this capital, desecrating our democracy, remain vivid in our minds. Again, this is, this is the image of the secular religion, the capital as a church. So people walking around the capital, milling around, I mean, because and I know there was some violence outside and that was wrong. And of course, some of the things that were done to, to other people, it was wrong. The violence was wrong in this particular case. But, I mean... Most people were just kind of milling around, doing nothing. 
And all the people that attended the rally, they didn't even go to the Capitol. They're all now considered bad people. The insurrection was an insurrection. Insurrection against what? Was an existential crisis, a test of whether our democracy could survive. It did. But the struggle is far from over. The question of whether our democracy will long endure is both ancient and urgent. As old as our republic, still vital today. Can our democracy deliver on its promise that all of us, created equal in the image of God, have a chance to lead lives of, of dignity, respect, and possibility? Can our democracy deliver on the most pressing needs of our people? Can our democracy overcome the lies, anger, hate, and fears that have pulled us apart? And then he gets into some of the other ridiculous stuff. Our Constitution opens with the words, we the people. It's time we remember that we the people are the government. Well, actually, the states that are the government. You and I, not some force in a distant capital, not some powerful force we have no control over. It's us, we the people. In another era when our democracy was tested, Franklin Roosevelt reminded us, in America, we do our part. That's all I'm asking. We'll do our part. And if we do, then we'll meet the central challenge of the age by providing that democracy is durable and strong. The autocrats will not win the future. America will. The future will belong to America. He uses this term autocrats. Who is he talking about here? Himself. I stand here tonight in a new and vital hour in the life of our democracy and our nation. And I can say with absolute confidence, I have never been more confident or more optimistic about America. We have started, stared into an abyss of insurrection and autocracy of pandemic and pain, and we the people did not flinch. Autocracy. You mean legislating with the, the guy that, that issued more executive orders in this first 100 days than any president in the history of the United States. But the guy before him was an autocrat. At the very moment, we, we, our adversaries were, were certain we would pull apart and fail. We came together, united. With light and hope, we summoned new strength and new resolve to position us to win the competition of the 21st century. On our way forward to a union more perfect, more prosperous, more just, as one people, one nation, one America. It's never been a good bet to bet against America, and it still isn't. We're the United States of America. There's nothing, nothing beyond our capacity, nothing we can do if we do it together. Joe Biden probably ad-libbed some of that, the extra nothings. All that kind of stuff, because that's all he could... Oh, wait, wait, nothing. Nothing sounds good here. All right. So Biden's speech is ridiculous, vapid nothingness. I mean, if you want to use his term, it's re- it's worthless. It's a bunch of platitudes, a laundry list of spending that is all unconstitutional. And, and that's the thing that we need to understand about these presidential speeches. It's more of a monarchical move than even we see in monarchies around the world. You want to talk about autocrats? Look at the American political system now. That's what we have. And it's, that's, it's a simple explanation of all of this. All right. So that's my impression of Joe Biden's speech. I'll see you next time with the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.